Chapter Seventy One of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lafano. Chapter Seventy One in which mr iron's narrative reaches merton moore well i did as he bid me and set the glass of rum before him and in place of drinking it he follows me out i told you says he i'd find a way and i'm going to give you fifty guineas apiece stand you at the stairhead says he to glasscock and listen and if you hear anyone coming step into mr beauclerk's room with his boots do you see for i'm going to rob him i thought i'd have fainted and glasscock that was a tougher lad than me was staggered but mr archer had a way of taking you by surprise and getting you into a business before you knew where you were going i see sir says glasscock and you come in and i'll do it says mr archer and in we went and mr beauclerk was fast asleep i don't like talking about it said irons suddenly and savagely and he got up and walked with a sort of a shrug of the shoulders to and fro half a dozen times like a man who has a chill and tries to make his blood circulate mervyn commanded himself for he knew the man would return to his tale and probably all the sooner for being left to work off his transient horror how he might well he did rob him and i often thought how cunningly for he took no more than about half his gold well knowing i am now sure neither he nor my lord your father kept any count and there was a bundle of notes in his pocket-book which mr archer was thinning swiftly when all of a sudden like a ghost rising up sits mr beauclerk an unlucky rising it was for him and taking him by the collar he was a powerful strong man you've robbed me archer says he i was behind mr archer and i could not see what happened but mr beauclerk made a sort of a start and a kick out with his foot and seemed taken with a tremble all over for while you count three and he fell back in the bed with his eyes open and mr archer drew a thin long dagger out of the dead man's breast for dead he was what are you afraid of you damn fool says he shaking me up i know what i'm about i'll carry you through your life's in my hands mine in yours only be cool he was that himself if ever man was and quick as light he closed the dead man's eyes saying in for a penny in for a pound and he threw a bit of the coverlet over his breast and his mouth and chin just as a man might draw it up rolling round in the bed for i suppose he thought it best to hide the mouth that was open and told its tale too plainly and out he was on the lobby the next instant don't tell glasscock what's happened twill make him look queer let him put in the boots and if he's asked say mr beauclerk made a turn in the bed and a grumbling like a man turning over in his sleep while he was doing so do you see and divide this twill settle your little trouble you know 
twas a little paper roll of a hundred guineas and that's the way mr beauclerk came by his death this to mervyn was the sort of shock that might have killed an older man the dreadful calamity that had stigmatized and beggared his family the horror and shame of which he well remembered when first revealed to him had held him trembling and tongue-tied for more than an hour before tears came to his relief and which had ever since blackened his sky with a monotony of storm and thunder was in a moment shown to be a chimera no wonder that he was for a while silent stunned and bewildered at last he was able pale and cold to lift up his clasped hands his eyes and his heart in awful gratitude to the author of mercy the revealer of secrets the lord of life and truth and where is this charles archer is he dead or living urged mervyn with an awful adjuration hey where to catch him and how dead well he's dead to some you see and living to others and living or dead i'll put you on his track some fine day if you're true to me but not yet a while and if you turn a stag or name my name to living soul and here mr irons swore an oath such as i hope parish clerks don't often swear and which would have opened good dr walsingham's eyes with wonder and horror you'll never hear word more from me and i think sir you'll lose your life beside your threats of violence are lost on me i can take care of myself said mervyn haughtily the clerk smiled a strange sort of smile but i've already pledged my sacred honour not to mention your name or betray your secret well just have patience and maybe i'll not keep you long but tis no trifle for a man to make up his mind to what's before me maybe after a pause irons resumed well sir you see mr archer sat down by the fire and smoked a pipe and was as easy and pleased you'd say to look at him as a man need be and he called for cards when my lord wanted them and whatever else he needed making himself busy and bustling as i afterwards thought to make them both remember well that he was in the room with them in and out of the chamber i went with one thing or another and every time i passed mr beauclerk's room i grew more and more frightened and truth to say i was a scared man and i don't know how i got through my business every minute expecting to hear the outcry from the dead man's room mr edwards had an appointment he said nothing good you may be sure they were a rake helly set saving your presence neither he nor my lord had lost i believe anything to signify to one another and my lord your father made no difficulty about his going away but began to call again for mr beauclerk and to curse him as a half-drunk man will making a power of noise and where's he gone to and where's his room and damn him he shall play or fight me you see sir he had lost right and left that time and was an angry man and the liquor made him half mad and i don't think he knew rightly what he was doing and out on the lobby with him swearing he should give him his revenge and he'd know the reason why where's mr beauclerk's room he shouts to me as if he'd strike me i did not care a rush about that but i was afraid to say 
it stuck in my throat like and i stared at mr archer and he calls to the chambermaid that was going upstairs where does mr beauclerk lie and she knowing him says at once the flower de luce and pointed to the room and with that my lord staggered up to the door with his drawn sword in hand bawling on him to come out and fumbling with the pin he could not open it so he knocked it open with a kick and in with him and mr archer at his elbow soothing him like and i i don't know how behind him by this time he had worked himself into a mad passion and says he curse your foxing if you won't play like a man you may die like a dog i think twas them words ruined him the chambermaid heard them outside and he struck mr beauclerk half a dozen blows with the side of a small sword across the body here and there quite unsteady and hold my lord you've hurt him cries mr archer as loud as he could put up your sword for heaven's sake and he makes a sort of scuffle with my lord in a friendly way to disarm him and push him away and throw down the coverlet and see where he's wounded says he to me and so i did and there was a great pool of blood we knew all about that and my lord looked shocked when he seen it i did not mean that says my lord but says he with a sulky curse he's well served i don't know whether glasscock was in the room or not all this while maybe he was at any rate he swore to it afterwards but you've read the trial i warrant the room was soon full of people the dead man was still warm twas well for us so they raised him up and one was for trying one thing and another and my lord was sitting stupid-like all this time by the wall and up he gets and says he i hope he's not dead but if he be upon my honour tis an accident no more i call heaven to witness and the persons who are now present and pledge my sacred honour as a peer i meant no more than a blow or two you hear gentlemen what my lord says he meant only a blow or two and not to take his life cries mr archer so my lord repeats it again cursing and swearing like st peter in the judgment hall so as nobody was meddling with my lord out he goes intending i suppose to get away altogether if he could but mr underwood missed him and he says gentlemen where's my lord de norin we must not suffer him to depart and he followed him two or three others going along with him and they met him with his hat and cloak on in the lobby and he says stepping between him and the stairs my lord you must not go until we see how this matter ends twill end well enough says he and without more ado he walked back again so you know the rest how that business ended at least for him and you are that very zekiel irons who was a witness on the trial said mervyn with a peculiar look of fear and loathing fixed on him the same said irons doggedly and after a pause but i swore to very little and all i said was true though it wasn't the whole truth look to the trial sir 
and you'll see twas mr archer and glasscock that swore home against my lord not i and i don't think myself glasscock was in the room at all when it happened so i don't and where is that wretch glasscock and that double murderer archer where is he well glasscock's making clay what do you mean underground this many a day listen mr archer went up to london and he was staying at the hummums and glasscock agreed with me to leave the pied horse we were both uneasy and planned to go up to london together and what does he do nothing less would serve him but he writes a sort of letter asking money of mr archer under a threat this you know was after the trial well there came no answer but after a while all on a sudden mr archer arrives himself at the pied horse i did not know then that glasscock had writ to him for he meant to keep whatever he might get to himself so mr archer says to me meeting me by the pump in the stable yard that was a clever letter you and glasscock wrote to me in town so i told him twas the first i heard of it why says he do you mean to tell me you don't want money i don't know why it was but a sort of a turn came over me and i said no well says he i'm going to sell a horse and i expect to be paid tomorrow. you and glasscock must wait for me outside i think the name of the village was merton i'm not sure for i never seen it before or since and i'll give you some money then i'll have none says i what no money says he come come i tell you sir i'll have none says i something you see came over me and i was more determined than ever i was always afeard of him but i feared him like beelzebub now i've had enough of your money sir and i tell you what mr archer i think tis best to end our dealings and i'd rather if you please sir never trouble you more you're a queer dog says he with his eye fast on me and musing for a while as if he could see into my brain and was diverted by what he found there you're a queer dog irons glasscock knows the world better you see and as you and he are going up to london together and i must give the poor devil a lift i'll meet you at the other side of merton beyond the quarry you know the moor on friday evening after dark say seven o'clock we must be quiet you know or people will be talking well sir we met him sure enough at the time and place end of chapter seventy one recording by john brandon